We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. Good morning. And we are less than a week out from the Iowa caucuses. And of course, that is the biggest headline uh, this morning, as well as Congress. Looking at the $1.66 trillion spending package, and frankly, um, as much as I have promoted and uh, really been encouraged by Speaker Johnson and his position, um, th- yeah, this is something that that is, quite frankly, very disappointing. And if you missed uh, Congressman Chip Roy yesterday on the program, he was talking about that. And I do think that it is important for Christians and conservatives to look at policy issues and look beyond just support. Supporting an individual person, um, even if that's somebody that we generally would uh, would back, uh, even like Speaker Johnson, who I know personally, I think that this is a a, a really bad decision for Congress, and uh, would like some explanation. Of course, uh, the headlines from Congress this morning are focused on Hunter Biden, which. Uh, Probably is a little bit of a distraction. Uh, but here to talk about all of this and more, and particularly Iowa, is our good friend Steve Dace, who is part of The Blaze. And if you are not paying attention to his show, I think he is one of the most prolific Christian commentators in our country today. And I don't say that lightly. Um, I listen to his show, and I always uh, come away not just encouraged, but also um, exhorted, honestly, and and to uh, to have some conviction about how we need to, as Christians, continue to think about this year and think about uh, what we are doing for the Lord. So, good morning, Steve. Thanks so much for joining again. You bet, Jenna. Very kind. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And, you know, I started uh, last week and, and and continuing into this week talking about 2024. There's so much going on in our nation and the world uh, that we are already anticipating in terms of the chaos, the disruption, the division. Uh, how should Christians approach this year thinking about uh, how we can not only impact the world for Christ, but understanding that probably 2024 is not going to be necessarily a better year comparatively to what we've experienced over the last several? I think overall, we need to understand that there has never been, um, until the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock and forged the first self-governing document of this republic, the Mayflower Compact, there has never been permitted in the history of Christendom never been a period permitted where we were the dominant unquestioned force of either um, influence or inspiration in a culture. Uh, Even in a 
uh, even in a Christian, post-Christian Rome, after Rome was Christianized, you would have emperors arise who would reject it and cause persecutions. Um, even in, 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 post, in, in, in a Christianized Europe, um, we had hundreds of years of, of battles and wars, either against the Moors or the Islamists of that era, or even with each other. Um, Catholic kings persecuting Protestants, Protestant rulers persecuting Catholics. This is really the first time this has ever been permitted, and we have a spotty history. If you had the wrong skin color, for example, uh, there there was certainly an era where those freedoms were denied you, whether you were a believer or not, even though your worldview is actually what spawned the country. So I think we need to take a real big picture look and understand that we have been permitted or maybe even cursed this belief and notion in the modern American church that, that righteousness comes from any other method other than suffering. It does not. It doesn't come from voting. It doesn't come from activism. It comes from suffering. Now, if, you can do activism to, make, to create righteousness if you're willing to suffer for what you believe. And for a lot of us, frankly, suffering is, uh, I had a winter storm last night here in Iowa, and Fox News went out, and I can't watch my favorite host own the libs. That's our view of suffering. Meanwhile, our opponents here, they have suffered mightily. Uh, they suffered through every institution in this culture for a generation that they co-opted and took over and weaponized the other way. Um, they, 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 they suffered cultural disdain, and so they created their own alternative culture, uh, their own alternative protests. They were willing to suffer for what they believed, and that's why right now we're outnumbered. And there's going to be a lot of things that happen in this election this year that are way beyond any of our controls. If the, if the, with the look at the polls, if that is what the, who the GOP nominee is, much of, this, much of this, just like the update on your network right before I came on, much of this campaign isn't going to be waged in rallies or commercials. It's going to be waged in the courts. And almost nobody within the sound of my voice right now has any control over that, how that's going to turn out, what that's going to look like when they're going to rule, what they're going to say. And, you know, um, we, we've got to learn to take control of the things that God put us in control in. And, and, and so there were, there were 1,600, 1,700 years of history of, this, of the Christian Church, where Christians were not permitted of a large voice in the civic realm. Even if you had a Christian country, you largely lived in a monarchy many of those years. And so how did the church persevere? How did the faith survive? How was it passed on? How did it gain influence? Um, um, it, it, simple yet difficult. Without promises of cultural hegemony on the horizon, believers had to learn to let their own lights shine, even if that meant suffering for what they believed. And you know what we need to do this year? That and a lot more of it. Really well said. And I think underscoring this idea of of suffering and the historical perspective uh, really does give us an opportunity to frame this well, uh, Steve. And, you know, a lot of the response that that I get, um, not just from listeners at AFR, but just, you know, in in general and people that I talk to um, that are Christians will say, well, but... 
the the politicians are just so terrible and they haven't done uh, anything that has promoted my agenda and I am so disappointed. And so why should I participate? And there's almost this, frankly, arrogance about it to say that if this isn't going my way, then I'm just going to take my toys and go home and I'm just not going to participate. And I'm going to stay within uh, my home and my church and just have this attitude of, Politics is dirty and the world is dirty. And so therefore, I'm going to take a more righteous road by completely abstaining because they're not doing what I would prefer. And I think that's that's the completely wrong attitude biblically. Um, but also, if you look at uh, at the history of the church, the church has always been in conflict uh, with the world. And yet we need to persist to be the light in the world. The main problem I have with what you just said is if you are going to retreat to a church that doesn't create any conflict with the world, you're in the wrong church, <laughs> right? This, this, yes. We tried that. We, we tried this notion before. They were called monks and monasteries, the monastic movement. It was a, it was a failure. It was a disaster. Um, uh, it, it turns out human nature uh, follows us uh, no matter where we go. We can't. Just like Jonah couldn't run from God's call on his life uh, to, to bring the gospel to Gentiles uh, or the truth of the Word of God at that point in time to Gentiles, we can't run from our own sinful natures either. There's, there's, there's no place that we can retreat to either from the sinful natures of others or ourselves. And Jesus didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Um, the, the, this is, we're to cause this friction. What is, we're salt and light. You know, what does light do? It makes things that like to operate in the dark scurry. It brings clarity. What does salt do? Well, it's a preserver. It was used as a preserver during Bible times for food before we had things like refrigeration and pasteurization. But the other thing it was used for was as an antiseptic. Um, it was used, uh, it was used to, in, you know, to clean wounds. And you just like, you know, back in you and I's age group, our moms were still using hydrogen peroxide when we were little like it was, you know, Kool-Aid. All right. Fall off your bike, <laughs> get a scrape pour that hydrogen peroxide on that alley, and it burned like heck. That's what salt did, all right? But that burning, that conflict there, is what is cleaning the infection out of the wound, okay? So if, if, if your church provides you a place of comfort where you don't have to worry about, hey, the drag queen story time hour is happening at the, at the public library uh, right down the street from where we go to church on Sunday, you're in the wrong church. I do think there, you know, there are eras. There are eras where, where the culture around us becomes so dark, where the, the options of participating in it are so dark that we have to actually just say, no, no, we, no, I don't, I don't have a choice where that is concerned. For example, that can happen here. I mean, for example, if we had, if, if, if the two major party candidates for president were both openly promoting things that God said were bad, not imperfectly doing something about them, because then you get into matters of the heart. What do people really believe? What do they really think? All right, let's say both of them put an open homosexual as their running mates with their, quote, married partners. I can understand completely if, if, if believers stood up and said, that's bad. We cannot support that. There are red lines. You know, the, the, when God, as I said on my show yesterday, when, when God introduces his, his word to, formally to humanity for the first time, he puts 10 statements on, on, on two stone tablets. Each one of them are all red lines. They're all absolutes. They're, they're not suggestions. They're not do the best you can. They're not, you know, up until a certain point. 
Um, they're not strongly worded encouragements. They are commandments. There are red lines. There are areas where we as believers cannot go. We, are not, we cannot measure morality subjectively, you know, vis-a-vis sides and play referee on things that God, has, the ultimate referee, has already made the rules. So that could happen, and we are heading toward an era uh, without revival where we could be facing some of those choices, and they're probably not as far away in many cases as people think. But ultimately, if you think the place of refuge to avoid conflict with the world is your church— you are in the wrong church, and the reality is too many churches in America, um, they, you know, ha, are not any threat to the enemy. They are a place of refuge uh, to, to avoid any form of conflict. The devil has two primary objectives for every human that's ever lived. Number one, to avoid you going to heaven. Number two, to avoid you taking and showing heaven to other people so that they go and join you. Those are his two primary objectives. So if he can't get you to, if he can't stop you from going to heaven, having you, stopping you from showing heaven to others so that they don't follow you there and go there with you, that's his second most, uh, that's his second most prime directive. And, fr- and frankly, Jenna, a lot of churches in this era in America are helping him accomplish it. Mm, yeah, really well said. And if if you are seeking a place of refuge instead of understanding that the Christian life is going to be all about conflict because we live in a fallen evil world and there is going to be that tension until the day of Christ's return, then we are wanting to pursue an easier life and looking at on the seventh day, God rested as, as being, well, then, you know, he, he rested into per, uh, perpetuity. Uh, we need to make sure that we have the place of refuge in pockets. And and I love the book uh, Pilgrim's Progress because it's such a great allegory of the Christian life. And there's a point in there when Christian um, who goes into what's called the Shady Arbor as he's walking up a, a really, really steep hill. But it's only uh-huh. for a night. And it's not Uh for this, it's not for a life of comfort. His entire journey was not comfortable. And, And I think that so often in America, we see conflict as something always bad and something we should run from. And especially when we're engaging in civil society. So taking this kind of Steve with from a from a 30,000 foot perspective and applying this now to 2024. And even just the tension and the division that we're seeing in the presidential election, Christians still need to engage, but we need to engage properly and on the issues and with a mindset of promoting biblical truth and really considering who is the best person to to either endorse or simply vote for or uh, how we get involved. And, and I think that there is a there is still that conflict between people who want to just totally disengage between and, and people who are engaging, I think just for conflict's sake, instead of having the, the truth and the Christian priorities in mind. So how do we look at engaging in a proper way, not to, to just go and have refuge and have a comfortable, easy life, but also not to engage just for the purpose of conflict. Well, I like the way you frame that. You, you basically pitted it against a um, dueling, D-U-E-L, dueling idolatries that, that really believe they are opposite of each other, but they're really just two sides of the same idolatrous coin. So the first one we addressed was this idea of creating our own little private Idahos, our own little islands, um, and our own modern monastic movement. Um, and, 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 and yes, the church—just you know, to, to clarify, the church should be a refuge— that prepares you 
for the conflict that you were called to be a part of, not, um, you know, insulate you from it. That's what I was trying to say earlier. And that's what many churches do today. All right. There's no sense of a con when you walk in. It's not OK. I can come here, get my tank refilled um, and get fired up and get marching orders to go back out there again next, you know, tomorrow. It's you know, there is nothing bad happening out there. And the worst thing that could possibly happen is something disrupts your comfort. That's really what I was addressing. Now we have this other idolatry now that is raging uh, to compete with it. And it's this idea that if, if, if you won't debase yourself as much as me, um, if you won't um, affirm me, um, because we're the right side, because what we're up against is so bad, and therefore we can gaslight, we can lie, we can debase, uh, we can destroy, we can deconstruct, it's totally fine. There is no standard that holds our character accountable uh, that there, there's, there's no, there, there, there and, and I know you've had plenty of experience with these kinds of people coming at you. This, I, this is something that, this is, this is now the, the, you know, the other cult, which, which basically is, is the French Revolution, uh, not the, not, not the stuff of the American Revolution. That's vote populi, power to the people. The people are sinners. The people might be wrong. Uh, there, there was a great democratic movement outside of Lot's House, Jenna. They all agreed. They took a vote. They all agreed. Bring out those men. Bring out those angels so that we can rape them here in the town square and have our way with them. They took a vote. You know, a lot tried to reason with them, and then they said, who's this interloper we picked up a few years ago who's now going to judge us? When we're done with these guys, we're going to do even worse to him and his family. That was democracy in action. They took a vote there, Jenna. They were all convinced. The mob was convinced. People are sinners. Public, the public opinion can be wrong. You know, the, 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 the gladiator game stopped in Rome not because they took a vote. Because one monk named Telemachus got up one day in the middle of the gladiator games and screamed, in the name of Christ, stop this madness, forbear. And they murdered him right there on the floor of the Roman Colosseum for it. And the crowd at first cheered, then was aghast. The rest of Rome, when they saw this savagery, they reacted to his suffering and were so appalled. That was the last day the gladiator games ever took place in Rome. All right, so it was the actions of one man athwart history, athwart public opinion. Uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what stopped the gladiator games in Rome, not the polls, not both populace. <laughs> and so what you're watching now is the rise of the godless right, just like we saw in France. And by the way, how's the French Revolution end? The and and we've got to end, the, end it there, Steve Deese. Um, I, I really appreciate all of your commentary, and I could have had you on for the whole hour, but uh, we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantage from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org AFR. 
That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we're talking this morning about the bigger picture of how Christians need to view 2024 and um, and view the world, really. I mean, this isn't just about 2024, but it also is understanding where we are at in this moment in time and applying the biblical worldview to confront a truly evil culture and to do that while still engaging in civil government and while still engaging in, unfortunately, what is a, a rapidly uh, terrible news cycle, um, but it but ensuring that we are still living our Christian lives in the way that God has called us to. So joining me now is our good friend, Joel Rosenberg. He's the editor-in-chief of All Israel News and has been our uh, correspondent from Jerusalem um, through this uh, entire conflict in the Middle East. And um, and Joel, you're going to have uh, Governor Ron DeSantis on your TBN program on Thursday. And I want to get to that. But first, um, how are you doing? What is the status of uh, the conflict with Israel? And uh, what can you tell us on that front? Sure. Great to be with you, Jenna. And uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It hasn't been so happy here. But I can say, um, as we've been reporting on All Israel News and the Rosenberg Report, uh, Israel is making tremendous progress in our war against Hamas in Gaza. Uh, you're probably not getting that from any of the coverage on almost any uh, mainstream media in the United States, but Israel is winning. We are, uh, we are capturing uh, Hamas uh, terrorists uh, by the thousands. We, are, uh, we, have, we have killed uh, uh, many thousands of uh, – actually, we're up to more than 9,000 Hamas terrorists that we know of um, and absolutely dismantling their terror infrastructure in the Gaza Strip. You're, you're probably not hearing that. Yesterday, uh, Israel captured, uh, uncovered and captured and blew up the largest missile production uh, factory in the Gaza Strip that we know of um, that was underground, hidden. Um, and it's been the source of many of the, you know, about, you know more than 13,000 missile attacks we've had. So this it's tremendous progress. Has it been painful? Yes. Is it messy? Yes. We still have um, uh, more than 100 Israeli hostages held in those uh, asphyxiating tunnels underneath Gaza. And so this is not over. Uh, Secretary of State Blinken is here, and I'm not happy with him. <laughs> I mean, I, you know— President Biden, as you and I have talked about, uh, did a good job early on um, supporting Israel, standing with Israel, even coming to Israel, to his credit. But what has happened since? What has happened since is uh, the evangelical, wonderful Republican Speaker of the House. I know we don't agree on everything, including the most recent uh, spending bill, but still he passed a $14.5 billion emergency military aid package for Israel in October. It's been three months Biden has done nothing. The Senate has done nothing. That's a problem uh, when we're when your ally is fighting, right? And now and now uh, Blinken is here to pressure Israel to do what? To quote not expand the war in Lebanon. Unquote. Well, who's expanding the war? It's the Iranian terror proxy Hezbollah who's attacking us more and more every single day. We're defending ourselves. 
But it is not helpful for Israel's number one allies to send the Secretary of State over here to to criticize us like we're children, like we're creating a bigger problem. We're not. Yeah, and it's really interesting to me, Jill Rosenberg, in terms of the media coverage, uh, how the the Christmas break kind of happened, and now we're so focused here in the states on other things. It's almost like um, the everything going on in Israel is not getting as much attention as, frankly, it should. And and I think that is such a an egocentric view that the mainstream media takes of American politics, because even though, yes, we're going into the presidential election cycle, I mean, there is still a lot of time between now and November. And we've been talking about the presidential election for the last year as well. We still and, and we can also talk about that as well as talk about what's going on in Israel. But I think that there may be some. Um, more in, intent behind that, even from maybe not knowingly the, the conservative channels, but especially from the more uh, liberal on the left side of the media, is that they kind of just want to ignore it. They want to ignore Israel's wins. They want to ignore the failures of the Biden administration. And, and so how do you view the, the coverage um, of the mainstream media that I feel like is just kind of ignoring this to a large extent? Jenna, the coverage is so bad that, honestly, I would have an aneurysm every single day if I hadn't created my own news services (laughs) several years ago, All Israel News. And, of course, as you mentioned, the Rosenberg Report, uh, Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern on TBN, uh, Trinity Broadcast Network, which is the most watched Christian network in the United States. Look, I just got fed up, and I thought rather than railing at how bad the media is when it covers Christianity, Judaism, Israel— peace, you know, security in the Middle East and, and, and this region. I, I just, I'm going to hire, I'm going to start, I'm going to do some startups. We're going to, we're going to do some, you know, we're not going to just uh, curse the darkness. We're going to light some candles, hire some Israeli and, and Arab staff and start to do this right. And, um, and what's interesting is, you know, all Israel news is getting big interviews that a startup you wouldn't really expect. We've interviewed uh, form, well, well, I met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu two weeks ago, sat with him uh, and, and covered uh, how he's handling this war, how he sees this war. Uh, I interviewed former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, and, and on and on. And, and, and that's not normal for evangelical Christians who are starting from scratch to have to create such a credible news site and, and TV show that people are like, wow, I, I should be on that. That is a way to reach evangelical Christians who are, of course, the biggest supporters, and the most faithful supporters, just in terms of sheer numbers. Of course, the Jewish community, most of them, uh, supports Israel. But what's, what, the reason Israel is supported by the United States overall is because there's 60 million evangelicals who are passionate about standing with Israel. It doesn't mean Israel does everything right every day. But we stand with Israel, especially when Israel's under attack. And Biden is, uh, is, is listening to the wrong people. He's, he's, he's kowtowing to the AOC, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, uh, uh, you know, freakish anti-Semitic wing of the Democratic Party. And actually, most Democrats are, you know, I disagree with them on almost every other issue, as do you. But on Israel, generally, if there's a vote... Most Democrats vote correctly, um, but Biden is not listening to the, 
the, the majority within his own caucus. He's listening to the lunatics, and it shows. Mm. And and really well said, uh, Jill Rosenberg, about uh, why you started All Israel News and have your show on TV. And I, I frankly felt the same way in terms of, you know, having been a guest and a, and a commentator, of course, you know, speaking um, on behalf of, of President Trump for a couple of years. But prior to that, you know, being a guest on all of the, the mainstream networks for so long. And when you're a guest, you you then just have to go with um, whatever the editorial process is and what they invite you on um, to speak on. And one of the reasons that I love having this show on AFR and also my show on Salem is for that exact same reason, that I can bring out the biblical worldview and focus on the things that truly should be focused on that mainstream media isn't. I mean, instead of talking about, you know, do we like Jill Biden's dress on on her Christmas message? I mean, who cares, right? I mean, it it just doesn't matter. And that's not going to be something that actually moves the needle. We need to be addressing the things, especially for Christians, that need to be addressed. And um, and I love that you have uh, the content that you do specifically for Israel, because that is such a great insight and a perspective um, that you have that is very unique, but comes from a biblical perspective. So um, there is an element of being able to to trust that and know that perspective instead of kind of filtering through the bias of some of the other sources saying, OK, well, can we really trust this or you know, what perspective right. is this coming from and being skeptical? Um, well, and, and so, and, yeah, yeah, go ahead. One example, one other example on that, Jenna, is. Um, you know, as far as I know, uh, Speaker of the House, uh, Mike Johnson, uh, as of Christmas, had only done three interviews. And All Israel News was one of those. <laughs> After interview with us, but he loves Israel. He believes that the United States should be doing more to help its ally under fire from every direction. And he decided to, not to talk to the Jerusalem Post or or, you know, or an Israeli television network, but all Israel news. Again, that's a sign of credibility. We do have a distinctive evangelical Christian worldview, but, you know, we're not quoting Jesus in every article. It's actual journalism with analysis, to be sure, and commentary, but it's trustworthy. You can trust it. And at at a time like this, that's what people are—that's what Christians in particular, but not just Christians, Muslims, Jews, atheists, are looking for— what really is happening and why does it matter and how, as an American, does it affect me? That's what we're doing. Yeah, and, and we need that because the, the purpose of of new shows and, and outlets like yours and even uh, this show is not just to exposit scripture or to preach or to, you know, be a parachurch organization in that sense. It's to analyze what's going on in terms of news of the day from a truthful and biblically based perspective. And that is so important because I think that there are not enough outlets, frankly, that do that. I wish that there were more that would come from a, a genuinely Christ-centered view of the world, a truthful view, and and then be able to um, to to look at what's going on in the world through that context, and and also put out um, facts that are. Uh, not just with the bias that we see from a lot of the mainstream media. And, and to have that those kind of interviews um, really does show your credibility, um, Joel Rosenberg. And you also had um, a very important interview uh, with Governor Ron DeSantis and um, his closing arguments for Iowa evangelicals. And that full interview is going to be on uh, Thursday 
on TBN on the Rosenberg Report. So give us kind of a sneak preview of that because I know a lot of people are looking at Iowa as more of a bellwether to say, well, are the polls accurate or are they not? And I think um, no matter what happens, there's going to be a lot of people upset uh, whether their candidate does well or not. Um, that is just how it happens across the board. Um, but right. what is Governor DeSantis's view going into Iowa on Monday? Well, I, you know, I appreciate you asking me. And I know that's – yeah, first of all, I'm glad that you have this this show. Actually, too, right? And I'm glad because it's giving you a chance – you're right – not to be – your agenda being set by the mainstream left-wing, you know uh, – Idiots in the media, but you can set the agenda and help people really understand what's happening. Um, but you can also take a position. Now, we have not taken right. a position. We are a nonpartisan um, uh, organization, a media outlet uh, at All Israel News. Um, and so I'm not endorsing or, you know, attacking uh, any of these Republican contenders, though I'll, I'll call them out on things that I don't agree with. But, uh, and I, I did that with Vivek Ramaswamy, for example, and I won't get into all of it. But it is interesting, right, that in the final week uh, before the all-important Iowa caucus, I mean, they could not be more important for Governor DeSantis. He, I wouldn't say he put all his eggs there, but he's clearly putting you know, a major bet there because if he can break out, if he can defy the odds or even create a miraculous upset, upset which would be miraculous at this point, it's a, it's a game changer. It doesn't mean he wins the nomination. It means suddenly there's a real fight. And so I haven't supported him. I'm not against Trump uh, strikes as I see them. Uh, but that being said, you know, Governor DeSantis has limited time. And so why is he doing an interview with me on the Rosenberg Report? Well, practically speaking, he's trying to reach the all-important evangelical vote, right, in Iowa and across the United States. And TBN uh, is the most watched Christian television network. Not the only one, but we're the most watched one. And my show uh, in prime time is the only uh, show in prime time that's news and analysis based in Israel. So my interview with him was really two parts. And it'll, again, it'll air on Thursday, but we're going to do, based on a lot of interest, uh, interest, starting with you, I realize we'll do some teaser stories over the next couple of days on all Israel news to help people, you know, see, to see what's coming and not wait because there is limited time. But we, I interviewed him, of course, about how he sees Biden and uh, Israel and what he would do different. That, I think, is the most interesting part Obviously, from my angle here in Israel, does he have a snowball's chance in Iowa? Is <laughs> the way I guess I would put it. Right. Well, they're, they're getting a lot of snowstorms, and they have, uh, you know, Steve yeah. uh, Dace just tweeted this morning that it's supposed to be like negative 14 degrees or something in some of the uh, counties in Iowa on Monday. So, you know, the, I think that analogy yeah. is apt. <laughs> but, um, but so, so, so what? It, what is? Question. Yeah. I pressed him. I said, yeah. And but so he made a very interesting case. I, I'm going to paraphrase it now, but again, we'll put out quotes uh, probably tomorrow. But but paraphrasing him, he's basically making the case that um, he's not. He's never been personally snarky, but he's saying. But he made very specific policy disagreements. He he didn't. I tried to press him onto the actual calculus of the Iowa caucuses. He didn't want to go there. But but he did say his people are incredibly uh, you know committed and that it, it, reading between the lines, Jenna, and you would know more. You're there and you know him well. But I my sense of what he's saying is, look, whether it's 20 degrees above or 20 degrees below, my people are serious. They want to get there. 
they're going to vote. And this, the question really is because of turnout, which might be, you know, this would be the coldest caucus ever. And remember, I, I've been to Iowa many times. I helped Steve Forbes come in second in Iowa uh, in 2000. I've, I've been part of that caucus process. I find it fascinating. But I will tell you, it was never negative 12 or 13 or 14. I mean, this is, and there's winter storm uh, watches. So you're going to have to be committed. And the question is, you know, the last poll that was taken, and he, he pointed it out, DeSantis did, the last poll was in mid-December. Why aren't there any other polls? <laughs> now, the poll, it's hard Great to question. poll because it's not just about, you know, who you're for. It's are you going to show up? And the pollster has to try to find multiple questions to figure out, to get to find out, are you really going to show up? Right? But right. he's convinced, and, and he explained why he's convinced. Because he said better on pro-life And we'll have to leave it there, um, Jill Rosenberg, but uh, watch the interview with Governor DeSantis Thursday night on TBN, and we'll all look forward to see what happens in Iowa next week. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. Daisy and her husband decided they never wanted kids. When she found out she was pregnant, she immediately thought abortion. But after she and her husband met her baby on an ultrasound and heard the heartbeat, their hearts melted and they chose life. Her baby Jeffrey is healthy and beautiful. Daisy and her husband can't even imagine life without him. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we've been focusing on Iowa and the upcoming caucuses in a week. Uh, But there is a lot more going on in the country, specifically state legislatures. And uh, Governor Ron DeSantis's State of the State address will be tonight. And it's supposed to be about Florida's future. So joining me now to talk about what's going on in the state legislature and some of the real conservative wins. I think we often talk about the um, the losses and, you know, the the radical agenda that's going on in California and New York and some of those other things. But Florida has actually been a great blueprint uh, for conservatism uh, is Jimmy Petronas, who is Florida's chief financial officer and state fire marshal. So good morning, Jimmy. Thanks so much for uh, coming back. And what is the state of the state in Florida? Hey, Jenna, thanks for having me. Look, the state of the state in Florida is great. Um, you know, we we're so proud of the leadership of this legislature and Governor DeSantis and what we've been able to accomplish. Last year, we had 400,000 net new Floridians in the state of Florida. They brought with them about $39 billion of recurring wealth. That's their businesses. That's their investments. That's their retirements. Um, that's their, you know, their prosperity. So we, we've had this, this, uh, this 
land rush to Florida. Um, and, and what we've seen people question, you're getting people that are from New York and New Jersey and Illinois, and they're going to bring their blue policies and their blue voting records down with them. 2020, November 2020, we had 300,000 more registered Democrats than Republicans. Today, as it stands, we have over 600,000 more registered Republicans than Democrats. So to your point, this conservative beacon of hope that we've developed here in Florida has definitely been a, like a drawing moths to the light. Uh, people have, have come to Florida because we respect their tax dollars, we respect their rights, and, uh, and we keep them safe. Well, and I'm one of them, uh, Jimmy Paternus. I mean, I moved to Florida last year for um, you know exactly some of the reasons that you articulated that um, that Florida is doing things right. Um, the state legislature is actually accomplishing things, and under the leadership of Governor DeSantis, you know we're seeing genuine conservative wins. Um, but we're also seeing a state that is actually run well, um, has a balanced budget. I mean, has some of just the basic mechanics of what government um, should be doing, and uh, and I think that there is a real lesson there because so often conservatives, I think, um, settle for uh, a, a state, even if it's it, it's a red state, they kind of settle for, well, this is the best maybe that Republicans uh, can do because we just know that this is a really difficult time. But Florida is saying, well, no, we can be excellent and we can address uh, issues that, that really need to be address, addressed. And so there have been so many wins um, through the legislature and through um, your leadership, Governor DeSantis's leadership in Florida. Um, what are some things that um, the state is going to be focused on in this new legislative session that starts this week? Well, we're going to continue to lean forward with with fighting against those issues that Washington seems to ignore. We're going to continue to lead on fighting inflation and fighting high um, uh, insurance rates. Uh, these are cost uh, drivers that are hurting the average American household. Uh, to me, well, I think one of the best forces for good is home ownership. And when insurance is more expensive, you can't you can't achieve owning your own home. And you think about it: when somebody owns their own home, they start to realize the importance of community. They realize the importance of protecting the single biggest investment they'll ever make in their life is their home. Then they get things like a property tax bill, and they go, what's millage? What is so then they start caring about their local government. It gets them engaged. And then the, the, the top of it all, you know what? People who own a home are going to show up to work. So it creates this great stabilizing force. But when you have high inflation rates, when the cost of construction is higher now than it's ever been, when you've got high interest rates because – of the, the the train wreck Washington is all this makes home ownership harder to achieve. So so we have been throwing. We, we the state has historic reserves. We have historic revenues. We've been returning that money back to the taxpayers to create incentives to offset their expenses to help them live locally in the state of Florida. And living locally is actually one of the things I was talking about on the show uh, yesterday and, and what um, one of our other broadcasters, uh, Abe Hamilton, for listeners on the Hamilton Corner, he always talks about living locally, being part of your community and uh, and making sure that, you know, that this isn't just about national politics. And I think that perspective, um, not just from a Christian worldview, but also from a, a practical worldview to say that we should be caring more uh, about state sovereignty and 
and local politics even than the national headlines. And I think there's been kind of this um, this inversion of priorities to the average American. And yet you see the contrast between the same people who, who live in America, but the, the quality of life and the differences in what they're contending with, with their state and local government between uh, California and New York and Michigan versus uh, Florida and seeing how many people are relocating here because they want to have more freedom and more liberty and genuinely um, a better conservative policy for the state. And so um, with the Florida blueprint, what has been um, the, the real key to success of actually achieving state sovereignty and saying we're not going to care what's going on in Washington um, as the administration and the executive branch, you're going to focus on the priorities uh, here in Florida. Well, several, several things help. And some of them we kind of, we, we, we were fortunate to have happen out at the same time. One, those three states you mentioned, they still have full-time legislatures. Florida still has a part-time legislature. These men and women still have full-time jobs back in their districts. They hear the pains and struggles and frustrations from the, the, the people they go to church with, the people they work with, the people that are at their kids' uh, baseball, softball, basketball games. So we still keep that reality of what the struggles of people are dealing with fresh in our minds as they come up and hammer out these, these solutions. The other is, you know, it, it, it's refreshing and helpful when you've got – a young governor with a young wife, with a young family. There's so many of these life experiences they get as young parents that that, that changes. For your listeners out there that have itty-bitties, you know how you know your life changed in a good way when you had kids, and it makes you think about things differently. To me, this is a lot of the reasons why the policies that we, we've had that have been so successful to attract people in Florida, a lot of it's just because a mom and dad or a real family are making decisions leading our state, and they they want what's best for their own kids. And you know what? What's best for their own kids is what's best for all kids in the state of Florida. Everybody just wants happy, healthy kids in a safe environment where they get a good education, where they're not being you know bullied or challenged or, or influenced by by somebody with a you know a, a political agenda. So I mean, all that works together. So when you got a governor who wants to lead. And, and make that part of his agenda, it's easier for those legislators to have the courage to say, you know what, I know those same emotions too because I'm hearing that from my constituents at home. So, again, I think a number of things that have been really great timing for the state of Florida, our governor, our legislature, and just how we're built in the state of Florida. And really well said. I'm speaking with Jimmy Petronas, who is Florida's chief financial officer and state fire marshal. And, you know, speaking of leadership, I mean, when when the legislature knows that the governor is going to have their back on a lot of these priorities, um, whether it's addressing, you know, CRT or DEI or, you know, some of these other um, critical issues that are part of the, the leftist agenda to overrun parental rights. And when they legislate on these things, it's not going to be from a small contingent of Republicans. It's going to be the state leadership overall. I think that that um, really does encourage um, the right priorities. And we've seen that. Um, what w- From working with Governor DeSantis, what would be um, your message maybe to some of the other Republican governors across the country who haven't um, stepped up as much to address these types of issues? And, and, and I would characterize it um, in just my opinion as um, maybe some hesitancy or some, you know, they don't want to uh, be as forthright in confronting some of these cultural issues. 
Um, how can they sure. learn from the Florida blueprint? So, so it's funny. What's different about Governor DeSantis? Look, he, he came out and and became governor through a kind of an unorthodox way. Um, he he wasn't the initial front runner. Uh, he ended up, you know, you know, showing that his leadership could could carry the day. Last election, we all won by over twenty percent. That is that, and Florida has been historically a pretty purple state. So when you show courage, when you're willing to challenge the status quo, there's a lot of people, a lot of governors out there, a lot of my my contemporaries in other states. I had a call with a treasurer from another state uh, last week, and he was, you know, really questioned some of the policies in the state. And I said, God, we haven't done that in Florida in, in 50 years. But you know, some of this is just the status quo because it's. Doing it because that's always the way we had to. You got to show courage. You got to challenge it. And at the end of the day, if your feeling is deep inside your gut that the people of the state of Florida, people of the state of Florida, spend their money better than Tallahassee does, that creates, in my opinion, the type of policy that helps people find prosperity. I love seeing people make money, and I love seeing Tallahassee give it back. We, we do not need to be in the dollar collecting business in Tallahassee. We should be focused on what our core mission is, keep people safe, keep our roads built, make sure the hospitals are operational, have good schools. And, you know, and everything else, that's the priorities of those local governments. Yeah, so well said, and I so wish that uh, every elected official in Washington shared that same perspective on uh, what the purpose and role of government actually is, and it's not to just be uh, collecting you know, a bunch of dollars and taking this away from the hardworking individuals because government is a non-revenue-generating institution. Uh, it has to then either go and, and tax and collect or get um, donations, frankly, and nobody's, nobody is wanting to do that in Washington, and yet they continue uh, to spend so much money on such ridiculous things that certainly aren't priorities for the American people. Um, just in the last oh. about uh, minute and a half that I have with you, um, Jimmy Patronis, um, I also want uh, you to, to articulate what's going on with the Florida Man Legal Defense, because this was an idea that you had that I think has really sparked um, a lot of interest in Florida protecting its own citizens as well. Yeah, look, Jenna, a couple of months ago, a month ago, I'm walking through the office, and, and I see where a former president of the United States is taking the stand to defend um, uh, business actions where there was no victims, where we had all the debt service, there was no defaults taking place, and and you've got this, this political witch hunt that's taking place by a, a attorney general who campaigned on taking Trump out. And so, you know, at the same time, some of the bold visions that Governor DeSantis has had, whether, you know, whether it was to, to send a message as, as a strike and deep liberal, you know, Martha's Vineyard, where we sent migrants uh, to, to that state in order to get their attention, how dysfunctional immigration pumps are. So, so, you know, Governor Sanders was threatened by the Department of Justice. President Trump's being prosecuted. He's being thrown off the ballot. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. I said, so, you know, I, you know, I've got Florida men, one of which would be a, you know, one of them's going to be a president. It's just, it is, it is what it is. And, and, you know, but we've got these Democrats who are weaponizing the Department of Justice in other ways, using, you know, tens of millions of taxpayers' dollars uh, in order to do these political witch hunts to try to take them out the ballot. So, anyway, so I've been advocating for the legislature. We've got a bill. Excellent. We got it. We got to uh, leave it there. Thanks so much, Jimmy Patronis. I'll see everybody tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast 
may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.